I didn't know uh, Lance led worship. Well done, man. So, yeah, but it's a lot of you. I know a lot of you, and um, I'm real thankful to be here. Um, super thankful this church. I mean, what more could a dad want than his daughter comes to Western and meets a guy like Zach, who what a gift to our family who I love. And then find a church like this and a pastor like Lance. It's like, it's what you want. And I'm also thankful to have Jim Fuquay here, who was, uh, after my father-in-law died um, several years later, he married my mother-in-law and loves her well. And so just very thankful for family and very thankful for this, for this church. Um, I've got five kids, four daughters and a son. And you, some of you know Madeline. Um, I was a civil litigation attorney for 22 years. So what I did was um, just practice law, um, both in Nashville and in uh, Owensboro. Um, I'm not here to speak on marriage today. It's a rare thing to hear Brad Road speak and not about marriage. So there'll be some marriage in it, but not, uh, not a lot. But God took me from the law practice into full-time ministry, specifically into marriage ministry, because the way we do marriage in America is broken. And there's a lack of marriage, discipleship, and shepherding in the church, and it has to be fixed or we don't have hope in anything. So that's why I left the law practice. A little brief history. I'm from Madison North Hopkins High School, where it's where I went to school. Um, went forward when I was like 11 to get saved. I really don't know if I was saved at 11 or not. I mean, I remember I felt something different when I got baptized. I felt like I was saved, but... I really thought what separated me from non-believers was they did these things. I didn't do these things. Therefore, I'm good. They're bad. And um, plus, I went down, I went forward on Easter Sunday. I kind of liked attention. So I waited till Easter Sunday because I knew there'd be the most people there. So that's deep, isn't it? So, so, so then I went to college um, and got bids to two fraternities. The wildest fraternity, there was an athletic fraternity. I played college tennis. And then the Christian fraternity, Beta Epsilon. In retrospect, if you get an invitation to both the worldliest fraternity and the most godly fraternity both, it means you probably don't have a backbone or more of a chameleon. And that's what I was. I could, I could talk the Christian talk. I could talk the party talk, athletic talk. I could please people. Um, I went... I joined the wrong fraternity, um, deciding that I was going to make a difference, which you know how that turns out. A difference was made, but it was on them, on me, not me, on them. And uh, there was a slow erosion of my moral decisions to I'd compromised virtually everything that I believed. Um, didn't think of God much, wasn't really worried whether I was saved or not. Went to law school, things went real well in law school probably the most popular time of my life, um, was not walking with Jesus at all. Took a job at a big firm in Nashville, Tennessee, um, making, making good, good money, doing what I wanted to do, um, empty, shallow, didn't even know it, just running along the surface of life. Uh, 27 years old, I've been in several different dating relationships and decided, you know, this isn't working out for me, and it's not working out even worse for the females that dated me, so I'm just not going to date anybody for a year. Then I met Marilyn, my present wife. One, she was like beautiful. Two, she was just loved Jesus. She was a ton of fun, and within eight months, I was married. 
I made a U-turn on all my decisions immediately because I knew if I'd continued in any of them, I was gone. I mean, it was a one-strike-you're-out type deal. Um, really, in retrospect, I made the decision for Maryland, not Jesus. Um, I felt that I was a believer. Um, I could talk the talk. Maryland was con convinced I was a believer. So we got married, moved to Owensboro, Kentucky. Started building a law practice. I didn't go back to some of the habits I'd had, but pretty much ignored Marilyn and just went about practicing law. Um, she was supposed to just, I didn't understand, she was supposed to be like, Brad, you're amazing. Thank you for being my husband, but she cried twice a week. Um, I remember thinking, Lord, I, I told her, I said, why are you crying? I didn't do anything. It was like the Lord said, Brad, that's the point. You didn't do anything. It's like she wanted you to love her, do things for her, be kind to her. But within a year, Marilyn prayed, Lord, am I sentenced to a life of this? She was absolutely miserable. Then an interesting thing happened. God moved in Marilyn before he moved in me. God, Marilyn said he almost spoke to me and said, look, I'm sufficient for you, Marilyn. Your joy, your beauty, your security, your happiness, it all comes 100% from me and zero from Brad. So Marilyn came to me and asked for my forgiveness and said, I'm asking from you what only the Lord Jesus Christ can give me. He is sufficient. He is enough. I will be your godly wife, but I'm off your roller coaster. So our marriage got stable. Then I had an aggressive uncle, and some of you have heard this story, some haven't, but he could see that I was succeeding in the eyes of the world. Law practice is growing. I won volunteer of the year. I was a decent basketball player in city leagues. And I mean, I, I had it going on from the eyes of the world, but my uncle could see I didn't have it going on in the things that matter. So he wanted me to go to a marriage conference, Christ-centered marriage conference. And I said, no. So he wanted me to go again. I said, no. So he called my office manager clears my schedule, calls my wife, clears my schedule, buys my ticket, invites my father-in-law, and then calls me. And says, I say, Brad, you want to go? I said, well, let me call work. Already did, you're clear. Well, let me call Marilyn. Already did, you're clear. So I went. And I think that's when I was saved. Because uh, they put the word of God up. It said, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. And I was asked the question, what do you give up for Marilyn? Couldn't think of anything. Basically did what I wanted, and she could just go along with me if she wanted. Live with your wives in an understanding way. And ask you husbands in here, how often do you just sit and listen to your wife for hours because you just want to understand her so you can know her, so you can love her well? Never. Husbands, don't be harsh with your wives. And I was, I got a sharp tongue. And um, I was more rude to Marilyn than anybody else in the world. She would laugh while being angry at the same time. And I, all of a sudden, my sin was HD clear. And I remember thinking, God, am I doing anything right? And I think the answer was about no. I was pursuing worldly success, financial success, all this different stuff, and frustrated that everybody else liked me and Marilyn didn't. So I came home, and it was like I was so stinking excited for Jesus. All I wanted to do was love Marilyn, read the Bible, and draw closer to Jesus Christ.
That's all I want to do. I told Marilyn, I said, look, the only thing that's going to be different is everything. That's what I told her. I said, Dick said, and I don't want you to believe me because I wouldn't believe me. And I know you're thinking you're going to have a good two weeks of marriage and you're going to get the old Brad back, but that's not going to happen because a new Brad has is is happened. It was weird. I knew that I knew that I knew that something inside me had totally changed and was never, ever going back. I knew it. It was weird. I wasn't concerned about it going away. And to encourage it, it has not gone away. So I got into the Word. I started dating Marilyn every week. And then not really... I was saved, but I didn't really under, fully understand the grace and sufficiency of Jesus. I was saved, yes, I feel confident in that. But I just got more and more involved in the ministry. I led groups. I preached. I read. I did recovering addict stuff. I was on a national Christian mentoring board. I was on Focus on the Family. I was in all this stuff. And guess what everybody around me thought? Man, Brad, had somebody in groups said, man, I just want to be a good Christian like you. And I thought, man, something's wrong. If you're wanting to get as busy as me to feel as good about yourself in Jesus, I'm not preaching the right gospel. I had the, in my mind, I had the thought, the more ministry I do, the better Christian I am. The more I'm at church, the better Christian I am. The more discipline I had, the better Christian I was. But you know, the focus is on what I did, not on what he did. And my life revolved around what I need to do, not on what he did. And I led a pressured life of Christian ministry, not a restful life of abiding in Jesus. And I tell you, the, to bear fruit, it's not spending 60 hours a week in ministry. What did it say in John 15? Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. It doesn't say go out there and set the world on fire for Jesus, and you'll bear much fruit. No, it says sit at my feet, abide in me. And I didn't get this abide thing. So the guy that mentored me, I said, dude, let me, okay, I want to be a good Christian. Tell me how to abide. I had a notebook in front of me, so he tell me how to abide. He goes, Brad, Brad, Brad. I'm like, what? He goes, you don't. Well, that's not helpful. How do I do something that I don't? And so I was really frustrated because to bear much fruit, you have to abide. And I wanted to bear fruit, but nobody would tell me how to abide. So then I just kept getting busier and busier. I got so busy in Christian ministry and I read so much stuff, they made me elder. You know, <laughs> I'm serious. Right now, we make people elder, not based on Galatians 5, peace, patience, joy, and the qualifications. We make them elder if you can speak well, if you read a lot, if you're articulate, and if you spend too much time in ministry and not enough time with Jesus, then we make you elder. And that's upside down. So I was on this busy track of ministry, um, and then I met a man named Doug Hignall. I had an issue in the law practice, like a business issue. And a buddy of mine said, the most gifted Christian businessman I know lives in California. His name is Doug Hicknell. I will ask him as a favor if he will talk to you for 30 minutes to run your issue by. Doug granted the favor, and I talked to him. And after I talked to him, Doug called me back and said, Brad, God has given me a love for you. And God has spoken to me. 
And he's told me to save you 25 years of trouble. Doug was 25 years older than me. He said, Brad, you're climbing the wrong ladder. He said, Brad, Doug's brilliant. Master's, engineering degree, doctorate, Stanford University, had a business of 180 employees, probably one of the more brilliant intellects I'd ever met. He said, Brad, I was a hard-driven charger, Christianity and work both, and that is not what it's all about. And he said, I see me and you, and I'm not going to let you do what I did. I'm going to change you from living under law to living under grace. He was rough. He called me a moral narcissist. I guess get people's attention, just call him a narcissist. But you know, so he said, basically, your life revolves around what you do and don't do. You go to bed at night, and you're at peace if you feel good about yourself. And you're not if you don't. If you're in the Word, meditate, prayer, didn't yell at Marilyn, worked hard, go to sleep, rest well. If you missed any of those, you feel bad about yourself. You get up in the morning, you try to do better the next day. Because that's a Brad-centered world, not a Jesus-centered world. He said, I want you to go bed every night in total rest and total peace because you're totally forgiven under the grace of Jesus Christ, and you can be totally confident knowing it's not about you, and to whatever degree you fell short, he covered it. And I want your life dominated by the grace of Jesus, not by the behavior of Brad. He called me a big self-improvement project. He told me I just used the Bibles, the self-help guide. And he challenged me to read Scripture differently. He said, Brad, you read Scripture to kind of see how you're doing. And if you're falling short, you try to change it. He said, I want you to read Scripture as a revelation of the love God has for you and a revelation of the delight he has for his adopted son, Brad and I want you to live with joy and peace like you've never had. He said, I want you to love because you have a deep love, not out of Christian duty. He said, I want you to love because you know how loved you are. Not because you're supposed to love because that's what the Bible tells you to do. And he told me how God gave him a love for people. He was counseling with a guy whose marriage was falling apart. And the guy looked at Doug and said, you know, if I wasn't a mess and you weren't a Christian and you didn't think you're supposed to help me because you're a Christian, you would not be here, would you? And he said, I thought, no, I wouldn't. He said, it hit me. I'm here because I'm supposed to be here. You're supposed to help hurting people. I'm trying to help hurting people. And he said, I cried out to God, give me a true love for people. That I just love people. I don't do what I'm supposed to do. I just love people. And he said, God answered that prayer. And he said, now I love people. And Doug taught me, Brad, you're delighted in, you're loved. And it was weird. Because when I talked to that dude, I would go from stressed to peace in 20 minutes. It was the weirdest thing. I was on my way to court in Webster County, and I was physically stressed going to court. I, mean, I felt it in my back and my chest. I felt tight. So I just jumped on the phone. I still remember his number and I called him hoping he'd answer. And he answered and within 20 minutes, I didn't have a worry in the world. It was like the peace of Christ reigned in him so magnificently that it was just imparted to those around him. 
He said, Brad, I spend so much time with Jesus that he's made me a thermostat. Wherever I go, it just sets the temperature on the peace of Jesus, and it has nothing to do with me and all about him because Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's been a full day every week just sitting with Jesus, worshiping, reading, walking, and then he spent the rest of the week loving people. Well, I resisted. I told him, look, I said, no, I'm, you know, it's about discipline. You know, it's about the spiritual disciplines. I mean, I've read Don Whitney. I've read the, you know, Foster. I've, it's about discipline. And you're, you're telling me it's not. He said, exactly what I'm telling you. It's not about discipline. It's about Jesus. And when I said it's about discipline, he said, well, true self-discipline is the fruit of the Spirit. Abide in Him, you'll have it. I said, if I do what you're telling me, I'll go to hell in a handbasket. He said, Brad, you don't trust the Spirit. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, if you're not in the Word enough, you don't think the Spirit will tell you you're not in the Word enough? He said, your job is to listen and respond, not to create some thing that makes you feel good about yourself and try to stick with it every day. So one day I was in my den. It was the weirdest thing because I don't, it feels like it was audible. I don't know that it was, but I almost heard, Brad, you're not okay. It's okay. I just felt like a weight lifted from me. Brad, you're not okay, and it's okay. You can quit trying to fix yourself. I love you. You're my son. Chill out, rest, relax. I was like, wow. And then when I looked at the scriptures, everything made more sense. Light burden. Christianity never felt like a light burden to me. Easy yoke. Never felt easy. Felt I just need to work harder. Rested soul? No, didn't have a rested soul because there's too much to do. Sabbath rest to Christ? No. But now it all made sense. I literally felt like my insides went. And it literally opened the doors to richly enjoy life for His glory. I enjoyed my kids more, my wife more, speaking more. Everything in life came alive. Why? Because I realized it is finished. It is finished. And the scripture says, I will finish the work in you that I started. It doesn't say you finish the work in you that I started. Before, I was trying to finish the work in me that God had started. And God said, you can chill. Come to me and I'll give you rest. I'm gentle. My burden's easy. My yoke is light. I've got friends in their 30s that love Jesus that are on blood pressure medicine. And all they're trying to do is somehow feel good about themselves because of what they do. And if they fall short, they, they feel condemned as opposed, to, as opposed to being encouraged that Jesus covered that with his grace and motivates them to do better. So Doug told me, he said, Brad, let me summarize the gospel for you. He said, just love the person in front of you and love them well. And do that the rest of your life. And then I had a different perspective and understanding of the scriptures. You know, it says in 2 Corinthians 3 6, the spirit gives life, the letter kills. You try to find peace through what you do, it'll kill you. It's for freedom that Christ set us free, Galatians 5 1. The law is the ministry of condemnation and death. The law is a schoolmaster to Christ, our tutor that leads us to Jesus. We can't, he did. We don't try to meet the standard. We trust in the only one that will ever meet the standard. And then the scripture in Romans, sin will have no dominion over you. 
or no master over you, no control over you. Why? Because you're under grace, not law. What does it not say? It doesn't say sin will have no master over you, no control over you, because you're going to get so strong in Jesus that you're, you're just going to do great because you're so mature. No, it says because you're under the grace of Jesus Christ. And what I needed to do was listen to Psalm 4610, which says, cease striving and know that I am Lord. My fear was letting go and falling into all kinds of sin. The same thing you hear legalists do whenever the true grace of Christ is preached. They freak out, try to gain control of people, put them on a legalistic thing, so their whole focus is on what they do. But I made that argument. I, I, I thought, could grace be abused? My opinion is, if you are truly converted, you will not abuse grace. If you're truly converted, the old is gone, the new is here, you are a new creation. If you're a new creation in Christ, you don't want to be a drunk. You don't want to be a porn addict. You don't want to be an adulterer. What do you want to be once you become a new creation? We want to be just like Jesus. And when we do something contrary to his word, how do we feel? Oh, that was awesome. I want to do it again. No, we feel under conviction. You're given the gift of repentance because we're a new creation and we can trust the Spirit. And Scripture addresses not using our freedom as an opportunity to sin. It says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So it says, you're free. All this is off of you. But why are you free? You're free so you can love the person in front of you and love them well, unencumbered. Not feeling so bad about yourself and so dominated by yourself, but free so you can love others and put Jesus on display. One time to mentor, I could, I, I'd messed up, like wasn't nice to Marilyn or something. I don't even remember what it was. But I sent him this long email. You know, confess your sins one another, pray for one another, so he may be healed. So I did it. You know, I wrote this long thing out and sent it to Doug. He sent a one-line response. It said, with all due respect, my friend, get over yourself. <laughs> that was his whole response. <laughs> and I, I, I laughed because I thought, here I am. I'm just dwelling on me. He said, Brad, why don't you think about how you could love Marilyn, how you could love your kids, how you could show the gospel instead of just sitting around wallowing in your own deficiency all the time. And it just opened my eyes to Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. You know, a good way to tell that you're walking under performance is if somebody criticizes you, how do you respond? Do you get defensive? Do you get upset? Do you beat yourself up? Do you go into the old self-pity wallow mold? Or do you tell them, I'm not as bad as you think I am? If you're under performance, you make it all about performance. If you're hoping in performance and somebody attacks your performance, you don't really care that much because that's not my hope anyway. And it changed my marriage because then Marilyn could actually address things with me without me getting all upset and defensive or getting all pouty and saying, oh, how can I walk with Jesus so long and be so terrible? I remember one time we taught on um, non-sexual touch. And um, before we went to bed, I said, Marilyn, just if you don't mind me asking, how do I do in that area? She goes, you going to be honest? I said, I guess. She goes, you touch me like you do our dog, Lucy. I'm like, she goes, do you ever think, I don't enjoy that? In church, when you put your arm around me, it like bruises my shoulder. 
She goes, you are the least gentle guy. And then she paused, like waiting to see if old Brad was still hanging. She goes, what are you thinking? I said, we got a great marriage. Now I'll touch a little better. That's it. God doesn't convict us to condemn us. He convicts us so we can draw closer to one another and closer to him. So when you, that's why wise man loves rebuke in Proverbs. Why? Because he wants to be more like Jesus. He wants to be closer to people and he wants to be closer to Jesus. He doesn't just get all upset because he's not as good as he should be because that means it's all about you. So then I had a real interesting experience. So my friend Doug said, why don't you fly to California? And I just want you to just shadow me for a week. First day, we spent an entire day at his cabin, just reading the word, worshiping and hanging out. On our way back from his cabin to his house, we stopped at this restaurant. And while we're talking at the restaurant, this drunk dude walks up to us. I mean, obviously drunk. Starts talking to me and Doug. And I'm thinking, man, I don't get a lot of time with my mentor. I'd get the drunk dude away from me. You know, this is like our time. And Doug was so nice to that drunk dude. Talked to, and Doug went to the restroom. The drunk dude walked up to me and said, that's, that's, nice, that's about the nicest guy I've ever met. I mean, he's amazing. He's so nice to me. And we get in the car. Tears roll down Doug's face. And he begs God to release that stranger from the bonds of alcoholism. And begs God to save him. And he told me, but people cannot be a distraction for you. They have to be the center. At his funeral, a lesbian leader spoke at his funeral. And I was like, and she said, Doug and I didn't see eye to eye on much. She said, but I have never met a kinder man. I've never enjoyed working with somebody more than him. That's salt and light. He had a non-believing doctor that he would see. and He said, every time I saw her, I made it my deal that she was going to smile and laugh and be happy before I left. I am going to bring joy to her life. When he died, she was crushed. His son went to the University of Utah got out of college, moved in with his girlfriend, which isn't what you were looking for as a dad. He shared with his son how he felt. And then I said, now what are you going to do? He goes, I'm going to love that girl like that girl's never been loved. He had him over for steak once a week. He loved the fire out of her. He called God's beauty in her stars, a unique creation created by God and loved the fire of that girl. She ended up marrying his son and when he died, nobody took it harder than her. And she said, I've never been loved in my life like Doug loved me. He gave her the opposite of what she expected. Move in with a conservative Christian son. And what do you expect from the conservative Christian dad? The opposite of what Doug gave him. I watched love. And I was so convicted. We walked into a Starbucks. And it was like the whole store stopped. We walked in. It's like everybody was so glad he was there. It's like, and he would talk to the barista. He talked to this. He wasn't in a hurry. Then we went to his office and some guy walked up and said, hey, my mom's in the hospital. I'm going to have to leave. He said, oh, stop. Tell me about your mom. And he laid his hands on the guy and prayed over the guy and prayed for his mom and prayed for his family and said, take as long as you want before you come back. But it was just like, 
it was interesting because I saw salt and light as I believe salt and light was meant to be. And it's freed me. I asked Marilyn, I said, when I understood grace, how did it change our marriage? She said, I finally feel like we can just hang out and enjoy one another. You used to make such a big, stinking, honking deal about everything. It's like, hey, you want to go out of town this weekend? Well, I don't know if that's good scheduling. And, you know, we went out two weeks ago. And says, she said, it was just like, you were just stressful. And by God's kindness, it set me free. I still drift into performance, but I got a place to go now. So if I, got, if I get stressed now, I know there's a light burden, easy yoke, rested soul, Sabbath rest of Christ waiting for me. And I don't stay there long because I hate, I hate the way it feels. I'm not as overcommitted as I used to. Used to, I felt almost obligated to say yes to everything. Doug told me, Brad, if you die tomorrow, God will be just fine. God don't need you. He said, you act like you're so stinking important and you need to do this and this and this and do this. He said, look, you're not that important. Like I told Lance, he told me God can do more in a millisecond than you could do in a thousand years. Why don't you chill out and spend more time with Jesus and less time trying to do stuff? It changed how I did life. He went through my schedule with a Sharpie and said, cancel all that and come back to me. He marked out my recovering addicts group I'd done for six years. I said, I've been doing that group for six years. He said, and your wife's been putting kids to bed for six years on a Sunday night, and that's stopping today. So it, it, it frees you not to live under duty. It changed how I was as a husband. If I'm under grace, guess what I put Marilyn under? Grace. Marilyn's Deals don't get on my nerves anymore, and I don't get on her nerves anymore. Why? Because we're both under grace. We're not under law. Marilyn had a really hard year one year. We had, um, our Madeline had a seizure, and we thought she died in our arms. Our Abby was struggling with academics. In fact, she made a nine on a test. Marilyn called me crying. She said, she made a nine. She said, it's hard to make a nine. I said, well, she did. And we had another kid that was, another, and we had an infant, and Marilyn got depressed and anxious and by God's kindness, I understood grace and just loved Marilyn. About a year later, she, when she called me one time at the office and said, Brad, I'm happy. I forgot what it felt like to be happy. I've been anxious. I've been depressed. I've been scared. I've been miserable. I don't even know what happy felt like. And then she said, thank you. And I said, for what? She said, for not telling me to get in the Word and pray more and exercise and get more sleep. She said, Brad, I was barely getting by. So if you told me that stuff, I'd have known you're right. I just couldn't have done it. Grace made it so our marriage grew during that year. It changed how I parent. Doug told me, he said, Brad, you're missing the joy of parenting trying to be a good parent. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, delight in your kids. Love your kids. Pick whatever they like to do. Just do it with them. By God's grace and kindness, my kids love football. So it blesses them to take them to different NFL venues every year. I watched all of Stranger Things twice. And before I got grace, I wouldn't have watched Stranger Things because TV's a waste of time. But my daughter loves Stranger Things, so I love Stranger Things. They call me about every day now. And I absolutely love it. It completely changed. He told me, whoever's kindest has the most influence. And he said, if you want to be around them more than anybody else wants to be around them, and they can tell you like them more than anybody else in the world likes them, and they have a problem, who are they going to call? They're going to call you. 
If you're just trying to develop them and you're just trying to teach them and make sure they're ready, guess who they're not going to call? You. And I would credit him that I've got beautiful, amazing daughters that I'm extremely close to. And he also taught me they're not the center of the world. He gave me the freedom to miss games and spend time with Marilyn. Madeline had a soccer game in Murray. And I was talking to Doug on the phone. He said, what are you doing this week? He said, I'm driving two and a half hours watching soccer games. Two soccer games because she taxied. JV and varsity, which is every parent's nightmare because you get, you're like at soccer games five hours. He goes, why are you going? He said, why don't you stay home and enjoy your wife? I said, I don't have to go. He said, no, in fact, it's a good thing. He said, go most of her stuff, but you got the freedom to miss. And it helped my marriage. Um, and now when I mess up as a parent, I don't feel like a bad parent anymore. I feel like a good parent that messed up. I got one and Zach knows her. Abby can make people a little angry, can't she? She might have set Madeline off a few times in front of you. I would get angry and yell at Abby sometimes. And I'd go into Abby's room before she went to bed, and I'd say, Aberdabbers, said, your dad sinned when he yelled at you. And I said, you shouldn't have done that. And I said, you know, you shouldn't have been disrespectful to your dad. I said, but you know, I'm totally forgiven and under the grace of God, and that's not held against me at all. And your disrespect, totally forgiven under the grace of God. So if God's forgiven me, God's forgiven you. I forgive you, you forgive me. She goes, we good. Then we smile and we go to bed. Grace cleans it up, ministry of reconciliation. Well, then I called Doug once and he didn't answer. 20 minutes later, I get a call back from his wife that he had been diagnosed with a, a very aggressive brain cancer. And I did get to talk to him. And I said, how are you? He said, Brad, I'm great. Circumstantially, not so good. Terminal brain cancer. I went from a busy, successful businessman to retired terminal and on chemo in a day. So that's, that's, that's not ideal. But he was so at peace. And he said, but Brad, you know how I know it's all about God? He goes, I can't pray now. Because the brain won't hardly work. He said, I can't read now. Because I can't focus on a page. He said, but I've never felt more secure, more loved, and more peaceful than today. And it's nothing about what I do. It's, not, it's about what he did. It's about his love of me, his pursuit of me. And I'm in a greater state of worship than I have ever been. And I went out there twice. He had brain surgery, and within an hour, he was loving on the nurses, telling them how amazing they are and what a great future they have in caring for people and it was crazy. Right before he died, the week before he died, I was in his bedroom, and he um, was counseling me and loving on me a week before he died, and now he's with Jesus. Um, I was reading from his journal. Some, somebody sent me a copy of his journal, and it said, Brad still can't relax. <laughs> and he said, he said, I wish... He said, I wish Brad could just relax and relinquish. And my staff made this for me, relax and relinquish. He said, he said he's a better dad than most, a better husband than most, a better businessman than most. He lives all of stress trying to make himself better all the time. I still wish he could relax and relinquish. And I just felt like I had this vision of a baton that when he died, that he like handed over to me to keep running the race, to preach the grace of Jesus Christ 
and move away from a Christian culture that teaches a moralism and not the gospel. You go to church now, a lot of churches, be more generous, be a better husband, be a better dad, help the widow, help the orphan, do this, get involved in international missions, and then we can't do all of that. We can't. Philippians says we'll bear fruit in every good work, but you just got to hear from the Spirit and do what the Spirit says. Not just chase your tail trying to be the good Christian all the time. What sets Christianity apart is it's not about moralism. It's not about how good you think you become. It's how perfect Jesus Christ is. Why do you think it is that people seem to be completely unable to enjoy a Sabbath? I mean, God says one day a week, just enjoy the day. Don't do any work at home, any work at work. Just rest. Enjoy why do believers not do that? Because we have performance-braced Western Christianity that's more interested in what we do and we don't feel good about ourselves unless we feel like we're acting in a significant way. We can't just sit before God and do nothing and feel amazing because we're the adopted son of God. Why is it that we have so much difficulty having a quiet time? I've been in many accountability groups and I mean, it seems like it's more likely for a man to bench 400 pounds and have a consistent hour with Jesus every day. Well, I'm so busy. I've got this and I've got this. Get over yourself. Martha, Martha, you worry about many things. Mary, you chose the better and the only thing that matters. Because the day is going to come that the only thing that matters is that you know Jesus and nothing you did is going to mean for a hill of beans. So my encouragement to you, enjoy a Sabbath with Jesus. Enjoy a daily time with the Lord, not because good Christians do quiet times, not because good Christians do Sabbath, because God gave you the Sabbath as a gift to enjoy Sabbath was made for man. And just enjoy being with God on a daily basis. Everything is just a banging gong, a clanging cymbal if it's not driven by love and love's not present. Scripture says we're to be known by our love. We love because He first loved us. Our hope is in His perfection, not our improvement. So leave tonight and just know, I'm not a failure trying to do better. I'm an adopted kid of the Most High God who's delighted in and loved and nothing can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ and my, my love is secure and I have an eternity of joy with Him. I've got nothing to worry about, including death itself. Like Hebrews said, it'll free you even from the fear of death. Then, treat others like Doug treated his son's live-in girlfriend. Like a beautiful creation of God. Why are people turned off by Christianity? Because it comes off as condescending, looking down on sinners, not loving sinners. You won't find many heroes of the faith with a lesbian leader speaking at his funeral because she misses him so bad because he left me so well, even though we disagreed about everything. So I did it wrong for a long time. I still do sometimes, but now I know even whatever degree I walk in performance, that itself is under grace.
so I can live at peace and I've enjoyed life more now than I ever have in my entire life. It's because he, because God came. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. So love your kids well. Love your wife well. Be the salt and light in your community and enjoy and bask in the love of Jesus. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that while we can't, you did. Help us not live as discouraged, feeling like we're not what we should be. Help us know that we're not okay. And it's okay because you rescued us. You came down, gave the ultimate sacrifice, took the sin of the world, loved us so much to set us free. As Galatians tells us, let us not turn to another gospel of moralism. Let us turn to the gospel of grace and forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, mercy triumphs over judgment.